Welcome back to So Wait Pause, the podcast where we pair a good and bad movie and get drunk while we do it. This is Ashley, and I'm here with my favorite drinking buddy, Sean. Hi. Hey. What a week we've had. Yeah, for real. Between the things we've done, the things that have been done to our house. Yeah. (laughs) So everybody has been following the saga of us redoing our house right now. And cabinets and countertops were installed this week. They were, kind of. Not all the way, but kind of. (laughs) They don't have doors, some of them, but... Uh, Okay, 90% installed. They also don't have handles. Okay, Sean. (laughs) They also don't have shelves. (laughs) I need you to see the bright side of this and that it completely transformed the space that we've been looking at I mean, there's something in here now. (laughs) Is it usable? No, but it's it's in there. <laughs> it's getting there. So we've the we're in the process of moving things over to the new fridge. Yeah, we have a stove that I'm not going to use. Yeah, we have a stove that I accidentally turned on a minute ago and like was scared of burning shit on top of it. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah, no, but I, I undid it. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it's like that time you melted our toaster. Remember that? Oh man, that was a long time ago. It's because the toaster is like sitting on top of the burner and you turned it on. But yeah. That's like the worst smell I've ever smelled in my life. Yeah. That burning plastic. Yeah. That wasn't good. Yeah. We well, didn't salvage that one. <laughs> well, I didn't do that yet. And then we went back to the movies, which we've gone back to the movies, but like we went to two movies this week in theaters. Yeah. We saw a couple different ones. So, one that we've brought up before that we really wanted to see. Right. Which is pig we brought up pig before (laughs) and let me tell you when we brought up pig we were joking you know because nicholas cage and how ridiculous he is nicholas cage is no less ridiculous than pig but pig is a great movie it's a really great movie. it's weird it's weird how good it was i mean it's literally about nick cage's truffle pig getting taken from him and him going to try to get his truffle pig back yeah and, and I thought a, that was going like to be like a, a serious j- drama. <laughs> yeah. And it actually works. I kind of thought it was going to be like a joke or just a, just a season of the witch, mm-hmm. you know, quality Nick Cage movie. But mm-hmm. no, it was, it was good. It's probably one of the best Nick Cage movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And for anybody who's seen John Wick, it's like John Wick with a pig. But Nick Cage is not like an assassin or mm-hmm. someone with ex-military skills. He's just a guy, mm-hmm. and so there's really no, like, way for him to fight back other than looking for his pig. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the difference with John Wick, but I don't want to give any, anything away about mm-hmm. the, the movie other than that. But, I mean, that's the premise of the whole mm-hmm. movie is that, you know, someone stole his truffle pig. Now mm-hmm. he's trying to find it again. Right. Great movie, though, somehow. I don't know how, but it's, it's a great I movie. I did not expect to leave that movie feeling like I was like, wow, that was... Really great. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it has like a 98% on Rotten or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's deserved. Yeah, it, for real. Um, but another movie that has surprisingly good reviews that we ended up seeing is Black Widow. Yep. The only Marvel movie we had not seen so far. Mm-hmm. A movie that really, I mean, took forever to come out mm-hmm. and did not get me hyped for it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a movie that was like released too late because Black Widow should have always had a movie at some point in time. Black Widow is one of the longest-running characters in the MCU. I mean, it's not like Hawkeye. Hawkeye doesn't deserve a movie. Nobody right. wants to see a Hawkeye movie. So he's going to get a show. Sure. <laughs> but, like, I think that there were people who wanted to see a Scarlett Johansson Black Widow movie. For sure. Right? 
a really long time ago they did. Sure. <laughs> and eventually they proposed one and then it took forever to come out and then it got delayed even after it was made. Right. Still we're saying, and I think that it's, it's still really good. It feels like a more modern movie. You know, like we talked a couple weeks ago or whatever about Winter Soldier, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier mm -hmm. and how that did not feel new. Mm -hmm. And I was worried that Black Widow was going to fall into that, that it was going to mm -hmm. feel like Iron Man 2 or 3. Right. Or like Thor 1 or Captain America 1. All of mm -hmm. those are objectively worse movies than they're making right now. And luckily it wasn't. Um, I was also a little worried with uh, what's his face from Stranger Things. David Harbour. Yeah. I was a little worried because the trailers made him look like he was going to be like the most over the top goofy. Like Fat Thor. Yeah, like Fat Thor, but worse. Yeah. He wasn't quite that bad. I mean, he does play like a comedic relief mm -hmm. type role, but it really wasn't as bad as the trailers made it seem. Frankly, the trailers might be the worst part of this. Yeah. They really undersold a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's like what I was telling you whenever we finished it. I was like, this is one of few Marvel movies of its type where there was no filler. Like, yeah. Everything was progressing the storyline except for maybe one or two scenes. It didn't feel like a long movie, which is really good when you have like a two-hour movie. I thought it was great. There was also really no connections with either the Avengers characters or the other people who show up. You have a little bit, but for the most part, like, there is no, like... You can definitely go into it not knowing anything. Well, yeah. well, um, well, that would be a little tough because mm -hmm. there's a lot about, like, the accords, you know, and, like, all that stuff that happens. Like, yeah, after... but you can infer that. Sure, yeah. But I think that... In it's not like going into a Fidelity War with uh, no backstory. Yeah, that's true. It's just a little weird, uh, the timing of it, because it takes place... You know, it's a prequel-ish, but it's, like, a prequel that happens after yes. Avengers 2, mm -hmm. like, Age of Ultron, like, around there. That happens after Captain America's Civil War. So, um, right, be it's right before... Yeah. When Endgame would have been. Well, so, um, yeah, because the Accords happened because of the stuff in Ultron, and that's why they split. And that's what caused Civil War. Because no, they... the stuff that the Accords happened because of what happened in the beginning of Civil War. Well, so when Black Panther is killed, and so uh, then he becomes Black Panther. Yeah, that was in Civil War. It's the first time we're introduced to Black Panther. We just rewatched all this, too. It's hard for me to remember. That's a lot. <laughs> but, the you know, because everybody's already angry at superheroes because at the end of Age of Ultron, they drop, like, the city and kill everyone. <laughs> Yeah, so that was like, like so the very beginning of Civil War, the explosion happens. Mm. And it's like that on top of what happened in Sokovia. They make the Sokovian Accords after the explosion at the beginning of Civil War. Right. I guess you're right on that one. I, well, they go together hand in hand. It doesn't matter. But those are the things you need to know about to really understand what they're talking about half the time. Kind of. You obviously get way more of the Easter eggs just by knowing about the MCU. So mm -hmm. that does definitely does help. You wouldn't recognize some of the characters or the references to other places. I did think this would somehow like carry over more. I guess like if they were planning on making this for so long and had some idea of what they were doing, there would be more ties. Well, it wasn't really planned for that long. Like they'd been like they had been talking about the idea of doing a standalone movie, but like the story wasn't written until like early twenty eighteen and they didn't film it until early twenty nineteen. Right. I guess that, like the most that happens is in some of the later MCU movies, you have Hawkeye mentioning an incident in Budapest, which is where some or most of this takes place. But what I really didn't understand about that whole notion is that like it's not like the events that take place in Black Widow are very insubstantial. It's not like nothing happened. It's something that like would make global news. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I don't understand is like if they had enough to be like, OK, we're going to definitely use this as a setting. So we'll have him say this like random line so that that makes a connection later. Right. It's not enough for one person, one of the Avengers to know that something happened with Black Widow while they were like all split up. Right. And he was in prison, <laughs> I think. Isn't the whole premise that Hawkeye was currently in the raft like yeah. when this was happening? Like so Ant-Man how would he be the America. one? How would he be the no- one that knows about this? Well, that's why I'm confused because I didn't because I was expecting because everybody thought that the like when he was making references in uh, Endgame to that, that like you would figure out what he was referring to in Black Widow. I didn't think that it was Budapest because it sounded like something that they had done together. I mean, maybe it was, and maybe, I mean, I have no idea. So when I was looking it up, that's the only thing I could even see that people could find that would connect them is if he's talking about what happened during that time period. But otherwise, you have a story that took place that has pretty big events happen that then has no link whatsoever to the rest of what happened. Like, it's not like Captain America was like, wow, heard about blank. Mm -hmm. And like... It's not like in any of the movies, you know, Black Widow brings up that she almost died in various ways, as happens in all, you know, standalone Marvel movies. Like all the characters always almost die, right? Or whatever. But it's like that never gets brought up. A pretty substantial thing happens that just has no importance for the MCU, I guess. Right. It's It's a little weird. And I guess it's because they released this after the fact. So you can't have that many connections. But it's, again... If you even had a vague idea that you want to have a standalone for a main character, you should have a little bit more because they have that for every other character, right? Like everybody else. Well, they all got standalone movies before the end of the MCU. But like it's as hard when every other character gets nonstop Easter eggs. Everything's connected in so many ways. You know, everybody always that analyzes like Marvel movies, they always find like the million like you know, single sentence things that were like throwaway lines that all of a sudden that referenced something that happened six movies like later, you know? Right. This felt more like how a DC makes a movie in terms of... No. No, 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 not the movie itself, but in terms of like how well it connected to the main arc. I don't know. I don't know. I would not insult it that much. Yeah, well, but... It's just a branch from the sacred timeline. I mean, it might be, who knows? (laughs) But the thing is too, is that like, I was reading about DC and why is DC so much worse than Marvel in almost all ways. And one of the things that I was reading about is that like one. Well, Zack Snyder is probably (laughs) part of it. But one is that DC itself had different executives over every movie, basically. Like they changed hands multiple times. So it's like DC did not have a standard figurehead that wanted to like have something consistent that they were agreed upon with the studio. And then the studio heads also changed, like the executive producers changed, everything, you know, changed hands, like everything is is different every time Mm -hmm. that they made a movie. And that was really the difference, because one of the heads of some part that something that has to do with the DC universe, they were talking about how that was really the biggest thing that prevented them from making a Marvel, like an MCU level thing, because you have Kevin Feige, who was literally doing every single Marvel movie from the beginning. And so you basically have this like 
this head executive, right, who can like make sure that everything connects. Right. From Iron Man 1 through to the next like 50 movies, right? So you had somebody to like give that to and who was piecing it all together, even though each individual project was obviously different. Right. And when it was less connected was when you had like Iron Man 1, Captain America 1, Thor 1, and those were all worse movies. Right. Until they could get the MCU going and then you had all the like intricate connections. Right. Well, we also watched one other thing this week. Yeah. I can't say it. Oh. (laughs) Well, so Ted Lasso returned one. So for anybody who still hasn't watched Ted Lasso, you need to watch Ted Lasso. The seasons are back. (laughs) By the seasons back, we we mean one episode, which I was very upset about. Yeah, I don't know if it's an Apple Plus thing that they just release episodes one by one. They don't do like Netflix and release everything at once. Well, like Hulu does that. Hulu does once. Well, like they'll choose their shows and Amazon will do the same thing. Like, remember like the season of the boys, Amazon released week by week. Oh, yeah. Well, same with like HBO is thought of as like a normal channel, not like a streaming service, but they are basically just a streaming service. Right. Well, so Ted Lasso, the first episode's out, and um, the next one will be coming out shortly. Mm -hmm. But another Apple Plus show that we decided to try out fits with the theme of this week. It really does. uh, Which is musicals. And there is a new show on Apple Plus by uh, Lauren Michaels. He's the executive producer. Is that right? He's like the creator of SNL, right? Oh, no, no. I mean of this show. Oh, I mean, it's supposed to be like Lauren Michaels presents, which just means he paid a shit ton of money for it. Oh, okay. Well, it's called Schmigadoon. <laughs> I had never really heard about it. Mm-hmm. Ashley had heard about it. And it's really just like parodying all types of musicals. Especially those like that were being like a product of like the 1940s and 50s. Yeah, it's definitely that era. And maybe it'll progress as we go get through the season. It's only three episodes so far, I think. Right, yeah. And I will say, in the very first episode... There's a scene from the movie we're watching tonight. So just as a reminder, so tonight, the first movie we're watching is Singing in the Rain, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I'm so excited to rewatch again. I haven't seen it once. But in the TV show called... Schmigadoon. Schmigadoon. I can't say it. It's a weird thing. It doesn't really sound like it could be a town name. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, the name is a parody in and of itself, but... There's a scene, uh, just like a, it's a little sh- tiny scene, but like uh, Singing in the Rain is on television. And so. Oh, I didn't even yeah. remember that. Yeah. Well, the show is pretty good. It has Keegan-Michael Key. Mm-hmm. And Cecily Strong. And Cecily Strong, who's in SNL still. Mm-hmm. Is she retiring soon? I heard that she might retire. I don't know. She's like, she and like. Uh, Keenan. Well, not Keenan, but yes. And uh, Kate. Like the, the McKinnon, Kate McKinnon. Yeah, they were like people who like every season you're like, oh, this might be their loss. Right. Yeah. Cecily Strong, though, never really got a career the way Kate McKinnon did, where like Kate McKinnon mm-hmm. was in like the new Ghostbusters and in a ton of like movie comedies. Right. Cecily Strong, I haven't seen in any uh, movies that I can remember, but this seems like her first big thing after, but it's also by Lauren Michaels, so it's connected right. to SNL. Unlike Aidy Bryant, who has her show. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that one called? Shrill. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Have you watched it yet? Uh, no, it's on my list. Yeah, so that's another show that's supposed to be pretty good that just came out. Yeah, so we're enjoying that. We watched the first three episodes of it. It's like a feel-good show. I mean, if you like musicals, I think you'll find it funnier. There is a there is a moment in the first episode where Keegan-Michael Key's character says, this is like Walking Dead mixed with Glee. Yeah. 
It's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it does kind of feel like that. So, <laughs> I mean, for the people who haven't ever heard of this, this is probably everyone. The premise is just that they're, there's like a couple. They are kind of like on the rocks, right? So like they fell in love and now they're like been da- dating for like three or four years, something like that. And it's one of those situations where it's like they're still not engaged and things just seem like kind of stuck or whatever. And so they go to like a, I don't know, like a couple's retreat type thing. Mm-hmm. And as they're on this retreat, this is like the first you know, quarter of the episode. So, mm-hmm. but this is the premise of the whole series. They go on this couple's retreat and as they're out in the woods or whatever, they walk like over this hill and everything looks like a 1950s musical. Mm-hmm. So it's all like painted background and everything's super bright. Right. Like think of like when Dorothy wakes up in Oz. Right. And so then they get down into the town and everybody's dressed like the, I don't even know what decade this is supposed to be mimicking. I think it's supposed to be 1940s. Yeah, but like the way they dress is almost oh, no. like 1890s. No, you're right. I, I'm completely, completely off. Yeah, because it's supposed to be like before like cars are in it. Yeah, it's like, I'd say it was like late 1800s, early, early mm-hmm. 1900s yeah. is like the way they're dressed in this town. And they're all like singing musicals and whatever. It's definitely in like era of Oklahoma. Because, yeah. like, they make, they're very, very, like, really intentional uh, references to Oklahoma. Really? I haven't yeah. seen Oklahoma. So yeah, that's... so... Some production of Oklahoma. Um, so, like, they make... They talk a lot about the Wells Fargo wagon, which is, like, the mail truck. Yep. There's an entire song in Oklahoma called the Wells Fargo wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, the boy who runs around with a lisp. Mm-hmm. That's, like, an entire character in Oklahoma. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of this so far. Who's the mayor, the actor? We looked uh, him up. Alan Cummings. Alan Cummings, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's in this. His character's great. Yeah. It's all pretty good so far. And uh, again, if you like musicals, you'd probably enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't, it's pretty funny. Yeah. I would say as a musical lover, I wouldn't put this as like something up there of like, oh, all musical theater people should watch this. I think you have to be more of a fan of something like SNL yeah. to enjoy it. Yeah, more like a a Keegan-Michael Key fan. It's definitely leans a little too hard into comedy for me, which I'm not a huge comedy person, but it's good. I'll continue to watch it. It's still not the best show I've ever seen. So did you think that, what did you think of uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? The other like comedy that does musicals? Fine. Really? I thought you really liked Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It was fine. Like I'm not going to like, I'm not going to like argue. Like I'm not going to tell somebody they have to watch it. Oh. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it started off stronger and that mm-hmm. it, like over time, it, it almost like carried on too long. Yeah. And it got like worse mm-hmm. over time. Right. But I, I really enjoyed it for a little while. This right. is kind of like that in some right. ways. As of right now, I like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend more than this, but that could change. Yeah. This is kind of similar in tone yeah. and comedic style yeah. in some ways. Well, to transition, that's a perfect segue into our movie picks for tonight. So we're going to have some controversy. I already know it. My good movie is Singing in the Rain. There's no dispute over that being a great movie. My bad movie. It's a 2003 Academy Award winning for Best Picture. (laughs) Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, which I can't even begin to comprehend what Chicago is about. You described it to me before, and I don't really understand what type of movie this is. So... I can't really get into the idea of watching it. Well, but it, as of right now, I feel confident that you'll think it's a bad movie. Yeah. I mean, I have seen Singing in the Rain because you had me watch it. Mm-hmm. A while ago now, it's been a number of years since it I watched it. It was when Debbie Reynolds died. We watched it the night she died. So was that 2016? Mm, it's 2015 or 2016, probably. 
Yeah, because she died right around when Carrie Fisher died, mm-hmm. right? Within a day or two. <laughs> okay, yeah. And for those who don't know, Debbie Reynolds is Carrie Fisher's mother. And Carrie Fisher is Billy Lord's mother. Yeah. I'd uh, say that Debbie Reynolds looks more like Carrie Fisher oh, than, sure. than Billy yeah. looks like Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Absolutely. You can definitely tell they're related. Yeah. So starting with Singing in the Rain, not everyone has seen this, so I'll read a quick synopsis. Remember, you get to drink every time I screw up reading. So, a spoof of the... <laughs> drink. You already just messed up. <laughs> a spoof of the turmoil that afflicted the movie industry in the late 1920s when movies went from silent to sound. When two silent movie stars, Don Lockwood and Lena Lamont, latest movie is made into a musical, a chorus girl is brought in to dub Lena speaking and singing. Don is on top of the world until Lena finds out. So, the stars, Gene Kelly, uh, Debbie Reynolds plays... Uh, Kathy, and then we have uh, Donald O'Connor, who's played Cosmos, which is uh, Don Lockwood's best friend. I made a joke last time about Lena Lamont's my dream role. Yep, we'll talk about that later. But no, I'm, this is what I've seen. I have, oh God, I've seen it. I've seen it over ten times, probably not more than twenty times. Mm-hmm. I would say in the teens somewhere. That's it's, a lot, though. Yeah, but it's been a long. I, last time we watched it together is the last time I saw it, so it's been a while for me. I think it's a classic movie. I think it should be required viewing for everyone in the world. Everybody's at least heard a song from this. And if not, you know, like even now you'll see random commercials that'll either use a song from it or, you know, there'll be like a, the clip, like in a montage of some sort. Right. I've seen some commercial recently had the scene where like they're all three dancing. Good morning. Yeah. 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 They had that. Um, another one had, of course, like everything always includes like Gene Kelly on mm-hmm. the lamppost. Yeah. Like that whole scene. Mm-hmm. That's always in montages of like classic movies. Mm-hmm. Like that's always in it. Yeah. As it should be. So it came out in 1952. I don't know if I said that. So it's a movie made in the early 50s about the late 1920s. For drinking rules tonight, we're using movieboozer.com. We've used them a couple times. Um, the drinking rules that we have from them are... Drink every time Lena implies she or someone else has less than average intelligence. Uh, Take a drink for each accent or funny voice Kelly and O'Connor use. Take a drink whenever someone says I love you. Take a drink whenever RF is pressured into making a decision. And finish your drink after Don finishes puddle stomping. Puddle stomping. Puddle stomping. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I'm really excited to rewatch this one, though. Yeah, I mean, it was good when we watched it. I remember the first time thinking that, like, the songs were pretty catchy. Yeah, because they were. Not a bad, like, storyline from what I remember, but I don't remember too much about the movie. Well, I think you'll be happy with watching it. Yeah. Because how could you not? And then the pairing with Chicago, I don't remember. I don't, I've never <laughs> seen that movie. I don't know So that pairing is based off of, one, it being an, another musical, and it's also set in the 1920s. So it feels perfect. Yeah, like Nick's. We'll just have to have an argument on whether it's a bad movie or not. Yeah. Okay, you ready to go watch Singing in the Rain? Yeah. Okay. We're back from watching Singing in the Rain. So you had some reservations about this being a movie for movie night. Yep. How do you feel now? If you like musicals, uh-huh. I think, I mean, it's so here's the thing. It's an enjoyable movie to watch. The whole thing is enjoyable in general. Like, the dancing is good. The songs are catchy. Like, it's an enjoyable movie. Mm -hmm. 
as a drinking movie, it was kind of hard to keep up with because it was hard to like follow the drinking rules. I agree with that. There was like too much going on, right? Because it's a musical, yeah. maybe. I also feel like the rules just weren't very good either for the game. Yeah, that, so that might be for part the of movie, it. Not the game. <laughs> so I mean, there are things you could drink to. Again, it's just it didn't have the feel of a drinking movie. I agree with that. Um, Lumina already said it before, but we're doing this on a Sunday afternoon. I didn't mind it as a Sunday afternoon drinking night movie. Yeah, I mean it's like a light. <laughs> It's like a light movie that's enjoyable and uplifting. Right. Like it makes you feel good to watch. Speaking of uplifting, I forgot to open my beer before we started recording. So, uh, the fresh sound of Trim Tab Brewing. <laughs> Paradise Now, my favorite one from them, Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would just have to be a ah uh, Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> Smirnoff Ice. Diet Mountain Dew. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite movies. I've said it like 80 times now. I will say that this movie holds up. Like, filmed in 1952, about the 20s. In 2021, like, it's still, like, a good movie. Yeah. I don't feel that way necessarily all the times. Like, when I watch um, movies of, like, the 40s and the 50s of, like, uh, I'm going to get so much hate over this. But, like, something like Breakfast at Tiffany's, who, like, when I was younger, I would say that's one of my favorite movies. No, it doesn't really hold up. It's, like, very iconic in its style and, like, the, you know, there's, like, still captures of Audrey Hepburn in it. But as a movie, it's, it's not great. Right. I mean, it's hard to, like, compare other movies, especially comparing regular movies of this time period to musicals of this time period. Right. They're just also different. Right. But, like, what I mean, though, is that, like, I still laugh at the jokes. Like, the jokes hit. Like, yeah. Like, it was good writing. It was good storytelling. I think that a reason this movie has standed the test, standed, <laughs> standed the test of time, <laughs> um, is, is legitimately just a really great, well done movie. Yeah, I mean it is, and I brought this up while we were watching it. But you know, with the Olympics going on right now, it reminded me of when you watch those comparisons of modern Olympics to past Olympics, and you see like. The gold medal winner in 1950 or whatever in the Olympics did like a somersault. Mm -hmm. And then you see today and it's, you know, Simone Biles doing like, mm -hmm. I don't even know how many spins she does at this point. Right. A lot. <laughs> right. Right. She jumps like 20 feet in the air and then does like a million flips. So that has been a common theme of like moving from older things to new things. They're so much more simplistic in the past. But in this movie, the dance numbers are not that simplistic. And, not at all. Uh, like, the things that they do, the physical acting, especially of Donald O'Connor, his, like, physical acting is it's, something that you don't see so much today. You and really don't. Not that seamless. Right. I mean, it's kind of like Charlie Chaplin-style comedy. Right. But in a, in a way that's, like, very fluid. Yes. Like, it is It's so fluid. It's so uh, effortless. Like... Yeah. And obviously it takes a lot of effort, but right. yeah, you don't, you don't see that anymore. Like I was, I was having a moment to, the only part that I don't like about this movie and I brought it up while we we're watching it. I said that I've watched this movie 15 times and there's a 15 minute segment in the last quarter of the movie that I never pay attention to. Mm -hmm. I could not tell you what's happening in it. It's like a movie within a movie of like, uh, Don Lockwood, who's Gene Kelly's character, uh, pitching like this new movie idea concept, mm -hmm. and he's basically doing the entire movie through his head, and I never pay attention to it. 
Right. Because that's the only thing that I don't like. But during that scene when we were watching it, as I was not paying attention to what's going on, I was just watching how effortless Gene Kelly's movements were and, like, how it just, like, felt like like on air, which, yeah. I mean, is, like, what people used to say, say about the front of stare mm-hmm. and whatnot. But it's just, like, that's truly what he... It, it was just, like, I was just thinking about how, like, breathless um, his his stuff was and how I miss seeing that style of things now. Right. I will say, so in researching, not researching, but as I was just like looking up things on the movie, I was sad to find that Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds absolutely have horrible memories of filming this movie because of Gene Kelly basically being a slave driver to them. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like that he was really over the top demanding yeah, so I was reading about how when Donald O'Connor was doing, I mean, he was doing Make Him Laugh, which is the the scene, the number, the everything that he's, this is legacy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not as what he's remembered for. Apparently, they, you know, like, they filmed it, like, for a full day. He's doing all of his own stuff, doing tons of jumps and flips and landing on cement floor. And then he comes back the next day, barely able to walk, and Gene Kelly says, we're going to do it all over again. And that ends up putting him in the hospital for three days. Yeah, that's worse because he didn't choose to do that. Right. (laughs) And when you brought up that story while we were watching it, it made me think of Dirty Dancing Mm -hmm. because I watched the movies that made us. Oh, yeah. And so if anybody hasn't seen that, go watch it. It's it's pretty good. It's on Netflix, right? Yeah. They also have Toys That Made Us. It's all about like 80s and 90s toys. So it reminds me of Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing where he was filming one of the last scenes where he's jumping off the stage into the crowd. Right. And that scene he like refilmed it like a million times because he wanted to get it perfect or whatever. But that time it was him choosing to do it himself. Right. And for what they were talking about in that documentary is that he was against stunt doubles. So he Mm -hmm. did all of his own stunts and they kept being like, you need to have a stunt double. Right. Like you're going to hurt yourself and then Mm -hmm. we can't film the rest of the movie. Right. But he refused. And so he ended up hurting himself many times in that movie. But one of the worst was that in that scene where he's jumping off the stage at the it's like a scene from toward the end of the end of the movie. Right. When he's jumping off, he did it so many times and he was landing on concrete that he eventually like completely like hurt himself and oh, couldn't film for like weeks after that or something like that. Mm-hmm. He was also like really like, Oh, you're going to use a stunt double. I guess right. you're not an actor. Like right. <laughs> that was his like whole attitude to the right. whole thing. <laughs> so anyway, but then he ended up falling and, right. and hurting himself. There's a lot of, th- of that, but it's worse knowing that Gene Kelly forced this guy to do that. Yeah, there's also the story of apparently when they were filming Good Morning, they had to do it so many times that Debbie Reynolds had to be carried off set because she couldn't walk anymore after Jeez. doing it. That's kind of like uh, The Shining, too. Yeah. <laughs> like how Stanley Kubrick yeah. <laughs> was like overworking her so much that like mm-hmm. the reason she looks so weird when she's swinging the bat is because she literally couldn't physically hold the bat right. anymore. Exactly. <laughs> In the scene where he's like walking up the staircase yeah. and she's trying to shoo him away. Yeah. Those are the things that you don't know uh, until you watch the behind the scenes. So the thing though that I was thinking about though was I would say for like physical stuff, I would say the whole movie rests on Donald O'Connor. Like he definitely does all the heavy lifting in terms of like the dancing and like the like the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. But so does Gene Kelly. Mm-hmm. And knowing that Gene Kelly was the co-director and the one who was kind of you know, forcing everyone to be perfect. And it's also known that Gene Kelly was also like a very hardcore perfectionist and everything that he did. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear or see anything about him, like working to the point of, of exhaustion or 
getting hurt. But surely he did a million retakes of himself, too. But he also wouldn't, like, talk about that, right? That's true. His yeah. other stories are coming out about him making other people do the right. work. But he's yeah. not going to say, like, I overworked myself to the point of hurting my legs or whatever. Right, right. That's probably why. Yeah. Yeah, so movie does stand up. The storyline still holds for today. I could see this storyline being a thing today. Yeah. There are aspects, obviously, that don't. It's an all-white movie. 100% white, I would say. I don't think there's one minority character in any role. In fact, what you think could be a minority character, I, I believe, is blackface. When was that? When they're on the movie set, like, just showing all the different films being... Oh, no. So that's even more racist yeah. because they were dressed in, like, black leotard suits to make their skin black. Exactly. But that's not part of the movie. It's like they're yeah. showing them filming another scene that's, like, set in a jungle somewhere. Yeah, so it's, it's even like you're, more... like, at, like the, like, the studio lot and seeing all the different scenes that are being filmed for different movies simultaneously. Yeah, so that's even, even more racist. Exactly. <laughs> but other than... There's no real racism in this movie other than that because mm -hmm. there are no minorities in any role. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a downside. Um, there are a whopping like two women <laughs> in the movie, one of which doesn't talk for most of the movie. <laughs> so, you know, it's a thing. It's but it's part of her character that she doesn't talk. Right. At least. I mean, she, when she starts talking, she's talking. Yeah. And you're talking about Lena Lamont. Yeah. And um, when she starts talking, she sounds like Harley Quinn. <laughs> but a worse version of Harley Quinn. Yeah. It's like exactly like Harley Quinn, though. <laughs> I said it at the end of last week's episode, but my dream role is Lena Lamont. All I ever want to do is play Lena Lamont before Did I die. Did you never get a chance? No, I've never been in a production of Singing in the Rain. It's not one that you see very frequently. I mean, definitely in community theater, it is pretty prevalent, but it's not like a Broadway show type thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's one that I've never seen. You never see an ad locally for Singing in the Rain. Right. Well, it's because it's very hard to do the rain. Yeah. I mean, like for Peter Pan, you can get by off roller skates. Right. <laughs> roller skate off the front of the stage like what happened when i was in peter pan right i was not peter pan though <laughs> who were you i was just like in the dancing ensemble so you're like the dancing tree or whatever. yeah basically <laughs> or, like the lost boys <laughs> yeah huh but not ralphia no <laughs> it was not um mixing uh peter pan and hook <laughs> exactly i don't know if ralphia was a character in uh, the regular so. peter pan <laughs> Schmitty? Is that what was that? Hooks? Uh, Captain Hooks? Shmee. Shmee, that's who it was. Shmee, yeah. Yeah. Didn't we read, too, that in Hook, who is the woman who plays one of the pirates on his ship? It's someone that you, like, really... Glenn Close. Oh, yeah. Glenn Close played a male pirate on the ship that yeah. nobody knew that right. it was Glenn Close until, like, years later. Right. Because I don't even know if she uh, if she's credited. Uh, yeah, like, we randomly, like, saw that, like, a month ago. Yeah. But then when you see it, like, when there's a still screen, because mm -hmm. she doesn't really have a real right. role, like, it's like a background pirate, kind of. Mm -hmm. But when you finally see it, like, in a still shot so you can actually see, you're like, oh, wait, there you go. Yeah. Because right. it's like a fake beard and, and right. everything. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> did you have any other thoughts before we get into the scoring so i did have one other thought which this has been a recurring thing as we've been watching older movies recently you know most of our movies have been i don't know 2000 plus mm -hmm. right and then we have a couple from the 90s and whatever and this is by far the oldest movie mm -hmm. we've watched during a movie night but one thing i always wonder is what is a stereotype and what is setting the stereotype and this movie really raised that question for me mm -hmm. because one, one thing we always talk about like in the 2000s is, you know, they relied so much on stereotypes mm -hmm. and the type 
of character that was portrayed, it's like they have to be that type of character, but then they also have to do all the things that that type of character does. Mm -hmm. Right. So like if they're like the bad boy that wears a leather jacket, Mm -hmm. then they're going to do all of the bad boy leather jacket scenes that we've seen in the past, like Mm -hmm. from Greece and like having a cigarette or like Mm -hmm. putting their cigarette in their mouth like they Mm -hmm. did in Greece, like Mm -hmm. that type of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. That it just gets reused over and over again. That becomes what that role is. Mm -hmm. And so I always wonder that when I'm watching these older movies is like, where did that come from? Or is it creating that model that we then followed forever? Right. Where that really stood out to me in this one was the director. Mm -hmm. So the director wears the most stereotypic, (laughs) like, Looney Tunes cartoon director clothes. You know, like, with the, like, big pants that, like, stick out in the... Like everything. Like tucked into like the Like boots. leather boots, yeah. It's almost like what you'd like see someone like in uh, like South Africa like sh- filming. You know, like, you know what I mean? No. Okay. What do you mean? Like, you know, like it's like uh, the like the like the safari people like trying to do their first safari and it's like the like billowy pants like tucked in and vest. So I think if I'm understanding what you mean. <laughs> You mean like the 1940s version of a safari, like a British person yeah. who's on safari in Africa. Yeah. I got really confused by your South Africa res- reference because I, I don't have any connection to... I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that whole thing fits too. Or like the way that like World War One generals dressed, right. right? Where you have like the ironed top of your pants right. and then like very, very tight bottom of your pants. Mm-hmm. So that whole portrayal of a director and then the director wears his like directing hat and like he's over the top and he was, you know, like the way he acts is like so flamboyant and whatever. Mm-hmm. I always wonder, it's like, did directors dress like that? Right. Like, did they act like that? Is that based on reality at all? Right. Or was that something that was created for movies so that you could tell who that character was and right. then people just kept being like oh that's what her director looks like right then then we're gonna create that right like it raises this question for me of like when you're thinking in modern times about what it was like to live in the 50s or the 20s right. so this is a movie in the 50s recreating right. the 20s so it's like is life anything like that <laughs> you right. know like was a director actually wearing those clothes i don't know Right. Or is it just like what one movie one time showed as a director wearing clothes and then we were just started recreating it for the rest of forever? Right. I don't know. I want to research this now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I brought it up, too, because there's silent movies in this. Right. And what I kept thinking is that, you know, if we started Hollywood with silent movies where you have to really portray things visually and with like expressions, then maybe the reason that Hollywood started these really over the top tropes is just simply so you could know who people were on screen. Right. Right. So you have like the snidely whiplash villain. Right. And he's going to twirl his curly mustache (laughs) just so that you know he's the villain. Right. Because on a screen of three people, you don't know who's the villain from dialogue. Mm -hmm. You know who the villain is from them having a black cape that they whip around. Right. And then that becomes a trope. And then Mm -hmm. people are like, well, that's what a villain looks like. So now they're going to be the villain until the 1960s. Right. I feel like you have a great journal article journal article on your hands. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. What are you writing this movie? Man, I don't know. I can see like the like gears turning in your brain of like, I have to be so careful with this one. <laughs> well, it's not low. I mean I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it both times. Mm-hmm. But we've now merged our ratings into like quality mm-hmm. and drinkability. You're right. I'm gonna give it an eighty eight. Okay. Because it's good. It's very mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. 
as a drinking movie, it was not the top of the pack for me. I understand that. I call Singing in the Rain one of my favorite movies of all time because it is. So I'm not going to give it anything lower than a 99. Well, there you go. So, well, should we transition into our next movie? Sure. Well, and this is also a movie, by the way, that has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Singing in the Rain does? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so for my bad movie this week, which we can, I'm excited to see us argue on if it's actually a bad movie, um, is Chicago. Came out in 2002. It's really good for this pairing because not only is it a musical, it's also set in the 1920s, which was Seen in the Rain was set in the 1920s as well. Very different movie. (laughs) Uh, Clearly. Um, So you've never seen it before, and I can't remember if we were recording or not last week when you liked were blown away by what the actual plot was because you thought it was like something completely different. Yeah, I think I'm like mistook Chicago for a different movie. Like you, like when you're describing it to me, I was like, "Do you think this is like the trial of Ch- Chicago 7? Wait, no, 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 <laughs> no. That, no, that's no, nothing. I didn't, I didn't think that you actually thought that, but like you were talking about it as if it was as serious as something like that. No, 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 no. Opposite. I didn't know this was a serious movie. I thought that this was like Dream Girls. What I don't know what that's about either. So that's hard <laughs> for me to. I know what, like, the visuals look like. I thought that Chicago was a story about, like, a female troupe of singers or, like, a vaudeville or burlesque-style performers. That's not completely wrong. I thought That's it was kind of like that, but not not in the sense of, like, Moulin Rouge, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, like, the way that Dreamgirls looks, because Dreamgirls is the one, right, that has, like, three people singing together. Uh-huh, the Supremes. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't remember. So, it, like, that... I don't know why I have that picture in my head of, like, a group. <laughs> it wasn't too far after this when that came out. Yeah, I don't know. And again, I never watch this movie, and I don't watch those types of movies. Right. So. Okay, well, here is a summary as told by Rotten Tomatoes. Nightclub sensation Velma, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, murders her philandering husband, and the Chicago slickest lawyer, Billy Flynn, played by Richard Gere, is set to defend her. But when Roxy, played by Renee Zellweger, also winds up in prison. Billy takes on her case as well, turning her into a media circus of headlines. Neither woman will be outdone in their fight against each other for fame and celebrity. So yeah, so it's like, it's like really about like wanting to be famous and also being women in prison and like using like the type of celebrity that is. And it's a fun time just in the context of why I chose an Oscar best pictured <laughs> movie as a bad movie. I don't think it's worthy of a best picture Oscar. I will say the musical numbers are some of the best ever done in a musical movie. Hmm. I mean, I mean, they're top notch. Like you're going to, you're going to enjoy them. I feel very clear about that. I've seen Chicago live several times. It's not a good show. The musical numbers are iconic, but like it is not like the best written show in the world. It's like, I have never seen it with, like, great acting. But, I mean, it's like an older show that has so much turnover of people doing it. Like, nobody, like, really, like Jonathan Gross are not trying to go be in Chicago right now. So, I don't know. From It's been a long time since I've watched the movie. In my memory, I think that Renee Zellweger is just laughable. I think that this is going to be more, like, a traditional drinking movie that we do. Like, I think we're going to find things that, like, you and I find really funny and funny to drink to that not necessarily were meant to be funny when they were filming it. But it's not outlandish in the way that, like, Moulin Rouge is outlandish. It's not nearly as outlandish as Moulin Rouge. It takes itself about as seriously as Moulin Rouge. Hmm. I don't know. 
it's uh, it's going to be hard for me to rate. And I mean, again, all I know about it is that it won an Academy Award, right, for Best Picture. But so did Moulin Rouge, and Moulin Rouge, I think, was trash. So uh, I'm sure that I mean that's like some people's favorite movie of all time and whatever. But Moulin Rouge was just like being on acid for two hours of ridiculousness. It's like Euro Trip as a musical that somehow won an Academy Award. So I don't know what Chicago is going to be like. Is it going to be like Dreamgirls? <laughs> Which I also don't know the plot of, so I can't compare it. Well, <laughs> one thing, uh, when I was looking this up, so the writer of the movie is Bill Condon. Do you know what else Bill Condon has done? What? He was the director for Twilight Breaking Dawn Saga Part 1 and 2. Oh, so quality <laughs> Is he the director or the no, writer? he's the writer. Okay, well, quality then. <laughs> Rob Marshall's the director. Um, well... In one of those two movies is where they had the CGI baby, right? Uh, yes. So I hope something of that level is in Chicago. I don't think it's going to be. <laughs> the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Almost the most bizarre thing I've seen in a movie. <laughs> that CGI baby in, in Breaking Dawn right. 1, I think. Yeah. So drinking rules. Did you find some for this? I did. I also have to ask before I can do my shot in the dark. What type of movie is this? Is this serious? Is it... A comedy it's, is it? It's mostly serious, but not like dark serious. I mean, it's like a drama, but it's not like heavy. So, I'm gonna be like doing a shot in the dark to West Wing. No, I mean, you're, it's like doing a shot in the dark to Charlie Chicago Seven. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of uh, the seriousness of like an American Horror Story, hmm. but no like horror or anything like that. But you know, like that's like not something that's heavy. Yeah, but it's not a comedy. Mm, we'll see. Okay. I think you should do your shot in the dark before I say the rules. Well, that's the problem. I I don't have any idea what to say about this movie. So normally I base my shots in the dark off of like the genre or the tropes I think they'll have or, you know, so like I won multiple shots in the dark off of the basketball related guesses mm -hmm. because that's a trope that like white male love interests from the 2000s play basketball. Mm -hmm. That's just, I don't know why, but they do. Right. It's kind of in the 90s, too, for right. that matter. It's always basketball. Here's something that should make you happy. John C. Riley is in the movie in yeah. a prevalent role. I don't know. John C. Riley was in Boogie Nights. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Boogie Nights was good, but Boogie Nights was also more comedy, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it wasn't a straight-up comedy. It was more like a drama comedy, but... Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is John Z. Riley in a serious role in Chicago? I don't think that makes a difference to me. Okay. Well, I'm I not think... super excited about this movie. I'll tell you. Yeah, I can tell. It's really <laughs> it's depressing. Just, no, it's just it's so serious for a for a movie. It's drinking. not that serious. It's like Greatest Showman. If it's like Greatest Showman, then okay. Yeah, it's like that. You just described a not a Greatest Showman type of synopsis. <laughs> well, I mean, like that's just the story point, but like the like. The gravity of it is something like Greatest Showman. But is Zac Efron in it? Because that would be the redeeming quality. <laughs> Zac Efron was would, like... He would be like 12. <laughs> he had like a gap in his teeth still. So. <laughs> Even better. If Zac Efron as a young child was in this movie, you would sell me on it. Okay. Does anybody play basketball? No. Nobody was playing <laughs> basketball in a 1920s flopper film. You don't know. That's around the time it was invented, wasn't it? No, it's probably even older than that. Yeah, I mean, basketball when they were playing with, like, fruit baskets or whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you just, like, going to have a shot in the dark? I don't know what to guess. I think um, of your tropes of when you thought this was Dreamgirls. Like, what do you think? 
So my problem is that I don't know the setting. I don't know the uh, feel. I don't know the genre. So it's in Chicago. It's a musical. You say it aesthetically looks like Dreamgirls. <laughs> but I don't know what it looks like. I based it off of thinking this was the wrong movie. Oh my god, I have not seen like 80% of the movies that you've chosen come up with Shots in the Dark. Okay, so Chicago, 1920s. Did they have mid-Atlantic accents in Chicago in the 1920s? Sure. I really want to say if someone says, Mashy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great one. <laughs> that's going to be my shot in the dark. Okay. Then. Do you remember enough about it to, to make a shot in the dark? Or can yeah. you make a shot in the dark? I don't think I can. Oh. Well, I like, I, cause I know the plot points way too much, but like, I don't necessarily know like the, the movie things. I was trying to think if I could contribute a shot in the dark. Okay. I'm going to make two guesses because I really have no, nothing to go off of here. <laughs> My first will be if they say something like that. Mm -hmm. We'll say if they say anything that's like that mm -hmm. slash gangstery, okay, like nineteen twenties gangster mm -hmm. of like, nah, I'm Bugsy Malone, like, right. <laughs> like that type of thing. My second guess is if there is an over the top gangster character, because yes. it's, it's Chicago in the nineteen twenties. Mm -hmm. I feel like there has to be a gangster element. I mean, it's like this would be like. Prohibition era in Chicago at the height of Al Capone. Right. How could you have a movie about Chicago without having gangsters? They controlled right. the city during this time period. So we'll okay. see. Okay, so for drinking rules, drink for every musical number. Great. Okay. Drink every time Tay Diggs, he's the band leader for the show, mm -hmm. um, introduces a musical number. You'll understand what that means when you're watching it. Drink for every gunshot. That happens a lot. But is that part of the movie or part of the musical? Both. Hey, I might get my gangster thing then. Yeah. <laughs> Ever done this gunshot? <laughs> I mean, it's about two women who went to prison for murdering their uh, well, people. Yeah, so. I forgot about that aspect. <laughs> uh, every time the six merry murderesses sing the phrase, he had it coming during Subalt Tango. So that will just be a number that we just are going to be waterfalling during. Um, and every time you hear a character sing the phrase and all that jazz. Okay. Like, I think you're going to like this way more than you think you are. We'll see. Okay, let's go do it. All right. We're back from watching Chicago. Mistakes were made. Um, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought going into this. I really underestimated the movie, particularly because I didn't know what it was about. It, it shouldn't have been my bad movie. No. Singing in the Rain shouldn't have been a bad movie either, but I should not have made this a bad movie. <laughs> no, you really hyped up this idea that Renee Zellweger was terrible, and she really wasn't. I kind of think she was great. I mean, I don't know if she was great, but she definitely wasn't terrible. There are... The the face acting that she does and some of the numbers is just so great. I, I I feel ashamed of myself. Yeah, well, for all the listeners who are big into musicals, maybe they'll uh, completely disagree this, on this one. Let me tell you, the Chicago movie is 5,000 times better than the Chicago Broadway show ever has been. Mm -hmm. Rob Marshall, who has done shit, like who's not a great director by any means from his filmography, he did great direction in this movie. Bill Condon, wish you could have brought that to Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the writing was the strong suit of this. I'd say like the musical numbers were the strong suit. For sure. But both the both the story and the musical numbers are adapted, you know, like mm -hmm. the, I mean, the musical numbers are word for word from the show. Yeah. The script had the most liberties for sure. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely captured that essence of what that show is trying to do of doing like the vaudeville performance versus reality mm -hmm. 
but it does it so much better. But that's because they have the advantage of movie. Right. Okay. So you're the one who went into this thinking you're seeing the worst movie you've ever seen and you didn't want to watch it. How do you feel? So I also felt that way going into Moulin Rouge. Mm -hmm. And in Moulin Rouge, I came out of it even less happy than I was going into it. (laughs) With this, it's... um, like I said, I, I underestimated this movie. I, one, I didn't know what it was about, and I couldn't understand what it was about from the descriptions. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a lot more serious, and it wasn't. There's like a couple serious scenes, but otherwise it's like pretty upbeat. There's a way more singing in it than I thought there would be. Yeah, so that was. I think that's my number one mistake of like, in my head, there's a lot more dialogue in the show. This is a very much traditional Broadway Allah, like you think of like a Hamilton where the entire show of Hamilton is done through the music. Yeah. This is very close to that too. Right. And I completely forgot about that. Yeah. The musical numbers lasted pretty much throughout the whole thing. It was more like a Moulin Rouge or, well, I guess Singing in the Rain for that matter, mm-hmm. which is kind of like. Well, Singing in the Rain has far fewer musical numbers. Well, it doesn't, it has a lot of musical numbers, but so much of the story is done through dialogue, not through music. Right. You know, like. And Singing in the Rain, the music is done to, you know, be like, oh, here's like an exclamation point on the point we just try to make. This was like, we're telling you the narrative through the story. Right. One thing that I was thinking about. So there's two aspects of this movie. One, it's a musical that's very like vaudeville, mm-hmm. whatever uh, you would call all that style of mm-hmm. music. And then you have another aspect of the movie, which is kind of like a legal drama mm-hmm. of sorts but it's mixed with musical mm-hmm. on the legal side rating this as a movie <laughs> about the legal aspects of the of everything the first thing that really stuck out to me is that so you have this like it's an all female prison or something like that there's like six people in the prison that you ever see mm-hmm. or whatever but they all murdered somebody mm-hmm. in various ways and there's a musical number about it mm-hmm. and when we got to that scene, one of the notes I wrote down is, I bet the lawyer is going to come in and be like, you really have to stop singing about how you did this. Because <laughs> the whole thing is about how they murdered the people that they... You're referring to Cell Block Tango. Yeah. One of the most iconic numbers in musical history. Yeah. That's that's one aspect. They, they always give away that they are actually guilty for the most part. Um, there's maybe one person who isn't, but they sing about it all the time. Another aspect was during the actual court case, you see a whole lot go on there that just couldn't happen in a court. Oh, for sure. But I mean, like, that's every movie and TV right. courtroom drama. Well, and, and we brought up that, like, you can't just take a new piece of evidence and be like, ha I sprung mm-hmm. this on you. And right. we've never, like, shown it before. Right. And you can't do that in an actual court. And, like, we brought that up. That's something that happens in, like, all movies. About- Holding University Law School. Now I'm rolling for class of <laughs> 2024. Yeah. (laughs) So we pointed that out when we were watching it, but singing about how you're guilty when you're trying to say you're not guilty, that's another aspect uh, that you probably shouldn't do. One question I have about musicals. Do musicals assume that people hear the musical? No. Okay. So in a musical, the musical number that breaks out is not something that anybody would know happened. No, I mean, that's different. No, I, I need to take that back. One, it depends on the show, but typically it is not thought of you just told me something in a song and dance. It's that you told me something, but in my head, you told it to me as if we're talking back and forth right now. So like for Subalt Tango, 
the entire purpose of that is for Roxy to learn, like, some of her peers in the prison, like, why they're there. Yeah. But, okay, so I understand that in musicals, it's not assumed that, like, the characters saw you tell them in song. Right. But my question was more, was that information conveyed? It, d- it completely depends on the musical and on the context of the scene. Because for the most part, it is, I, like, I am just conveying information in a fun way. Yeah. A lot, and in other things, it can be, this is the inner workings of my mind that no one will know, but I'm just sharing a part of it between me and you and the audience. Sure. And, and I get that. So, like, it's it. not like a, it is not a set rule on which side you play. Right. I guess in this case, my question then is just, were they out loud telling each other how they killed the people? Yeah, because you see, like, in Solid Tango, like, good on Rob Marshall. He did such a good job of showing, like, the lyrics of Solid Tango are from the original show. But he did a very good job of, like, showing, like, the Bob Fosse-style routine, but then was cutting in as if, like, with what they were saying was, like, them, like, at the card table or walking through, you know, like, the prison or whatnot, just, like... Right. Not glammed up or whatever, just like being like, turns out he has six wives. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was so great because like that's what I was trying to convey. It was trying to convey these women telling each other like why they why they are here. Right. Yeah. So that brings me to my second question, which is that: Do you think that that is how it worked for O.J. Simpson? <laughs> you brought that up during the movie <laughs> because I I think that directly. <laughs> I think you had a point, which is that. OJ Simpson's entire thing was like, he was watched Chicago and was like, okay, I can say I didn't do it, but if I did do it, here's how I would have done right, it. Right, because there's another, is it a song again where they say that? Because it is. That is Subblot Tango. Okay, so in that. I didn't they do, do it. I didn't do it, but if I'd done it, how could you tell me that I was wrong? Right. So in that case, that is literally the title of, because isn't <laughs> it, isn't it like, I he, didn't do it. He said, I didn't kill her, but if I did, here's how I did yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe O.J. Simpson. I think he literally had watched Chicago and like had some bourbon and was like, I can get away with this. Right. I mean, maybe maybe he even said it in song form while he was in <laughs> the prison or whatever. But here's the other thing. Well, he also posted bail like these women didn't. Well, also when he did that, it was like 20 years later. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. The the book idea, came, like he came out with a book like idea in like 2007, so maybe 10 years later, 15. When was the musical? When did the, mu- the musical come out? 2002? Well, the movie came out no, in yeah, 2002. No, yeah, the musical the musical came out, like, a long time ago. Oh, okay. That's what I was out. wondering. Let me find out. Okay. Yeah, well, so that's one thing that came, stuck out to me. Another thing that stuck out to me... So, here's the thing. When I was watching this, yes, I enjoyed it. I'm not big into musicals. Um, this isn't the type of movie I would typically choose to put on. 1975. Oh, yeah, that's a lot longer ago than I mm-hmm. thought. But, as I was watching it... What stuck out to me were things like that. So, like, the O.J. Simpson quote, which obviously isn't from O.J. Simpson, but, you know, that stuck out to me. Stuff about the court case stuck out to me. Another thing that stuck out to me was that the look of the prison, and everything for that matter, looked like it was a 1990s Batman movie. Just the random steam coming out of places. Yeah, like, literally, like, (laughs) I can't tell you how many scenes are in, like, the Joel Schumacher Batman. (laughs) yeah. So, like, Batman Robin, Batman Forever, those types of ones. Honestly, even the Tim Burton Batman movies right. have the very much the same look. Because it is, like, trying to be 1920s to 40s, right. somewhere in that time period, you know? So, it's just, like, the nondescript 
alleyways that have steam right. rising out of them. Exactly. And Sitting, Gotham's supposed to be like Chicago too. It's New York. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. I know, that was me trying to act like I'm uh, an authority on something I'm not. <laughs> no, but what's funny about this is like, yes, I completely co-sign and agree with that. To Rob Marshall and like the set designs credit of Chicago, they were very intentionally trying to blend the movie theatrical with the stage theatrical. It was not supposed to feel like you were on the streets of Chicago. It was supposed to feel like you were on a stage set. Yeah. Of Chicago. Whereas I think Joel Schumacher was trying to feel more realistic than what they were going for. I don't know. I mean, we watched mm-hmm. Batman and Robin and the set for that was insanely stupid. It didn't look like any city. And it definitely didn't look like a city that we've ever been to. Right. It looked fake all the way through. Um, that stuck out to me in terms of as it as a musical, not as <laughs> all these <laughs> random movie things I'm noticing. I would say that my favorite musical number was the puppet scene. Oh, where everybody's we both on, reach for the gun. I guess, yeah. yeah. But where they're all on strings and she plays yes. a puppet like on mm-hmm. on his lap or whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought that was probably the best scene. I really liked all of the like court-ish mm-hmm. scenes and like where they're coming up with their like defense mm-hmm. or whatever. And then during the court case, that scene was really great. The razzle-dazzle. Yeah, that was good. The puppet scene was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think there were any musical numbers that were necessarily bad. Did you need Mr. Cellophane? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no. the only one. And I hate it because, like, Amos, who is uh, Rossi Hart's husband, played by John C. Riley in the movie, he's the most pure character who deserves to have a spotlight on him. But my God, he's literally Cellophane, and I do not need a, sh- a number about him. <laughs> yeah. That's why I would have rewrote the movie. I would have I would have had him at the end shoot Renee Zellweger. So you would have just completely redone the the very well known. No, if, acclaimed I, if, musical. if I wrote the musical, then okay. <laughs> that's how it would end. John C. Riley, he's the most like so Amos. one. Yeah, Amos is like completely shafted the whole oh for sure the whole thing through. Right, nobody cares about him. His wife cheats on him and then forces him to pay her enormous legal fees. And we while... both agree that Rossi Hart is the worst character. She's terrible. Yeah, yeah, she's horrendous. And so something should have come out of her terrible behavior. Mm-hmm. But instead she becomes famous. But isn't that life? Sometimes. A lot of times. I mean, it just depends on who you are. I don't know. I, I You and I were talking about it. I kind of love when all your main characters are not lovable. Like, I love having that really conflicted, like, you're cheering for the bad guy, but also, like, fuck this person. Well, for me, like, I'm fine with anti-heroes. What I don't yeah, like she's is... She's not an anti-hero. <laughs> no, she's not an anti-hero. So I'm fine with that. What I don't like are, like, when a movie has only characters who are unlikable, mm-hmm. fully, wholly unlikable, mm-hmm. where there's no aspect of them that you could root for. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's a good distinction because, I don't know, like, I think about Richard Gere's character as Billy Flynn. He's not someone to root for, but he's so charismatic that I love his character Mm -hmm. that, like, I love him. I love that character, and I'm rooting for that character, even though I know that he's not a good person or anything. Right, and so that type of thing doesn't annoy me. What does annoy me is when a character constantly makes bad decisions. Mm Mm-hmm that are unnecessary or just i don't know it's just like when every character does that and mm-hmm. nobody does anything sensible or likable or that you could like relate with mm-hmm. 
And so I don't know. I didn't feel that way with this movie. Yeah. I didn't feel the way you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Not with this. Right. I have in a lot of other things. Also, so let's talk about Richard Gere. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of filling you in um, during the movie that the role of Billy Flynn in the show is kind of like that. It's usually somebody who is a higher profile name who isn't necessarily supposed to be the most talented person in the world, but it's supposed to be like exciting that they agreed to do this role. So I compared it to like a Vince Fontaine in Greece who sings Beauty Squirrel Dropout. Like that's always supposed to be kind of like a person who you're just excited that they agreed to do this. Mm-hmm. And so usually a lot of times that's how Billy Flynn is treated in the more modern era of performing Chicago. I think Richard Gere is excellent <laughs> as Billy Flynn in this. Yeah, he was really good all the way through, but I don't think anybody was bad. I don't think that any actor or actress in this was, like, terrible. I don't think the casting was bad in any regard. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, normally there's at least one character where you're like, meh. And, like, John C. Riley comes the closest, but John C. Riley isn't that bad as the character. Yeah. Because, like, him as Amos. Yeah, I think he did great as Amos. I mean, that's kind of what I would imagine a little Mm -hmm. bit in that role. So, like, I I don't think that was poorly cast or anything. He plays a very good gullible husband type right mm-hmm. yeah and that kind of fits with what he played in a lot of roles mm-hmm. it's not necessarily what he played in boogie nights but boogie nights is like the outlier here right because otherwise he's kind of that character and everything no i mean i i am sitting here humbled and upset with myself that i try to pass this as a bad movie I think it was a really great movie, and I also think Renee Zellweger was great. And I feel really bad that I tried to say that we were going to make fun of her because I don't think she deserves to be made fun of. It was so good. Yeah, it was really good. And the only thing that would have made it better is if the pairing was Chicago and Walk Hard. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I love... The story. Yeah, I love Walk Hard, and that would have connected just I was trying to think of that in the last segment when we were talking but I could not think of the new name of that that uh, movie. So I kept, in my head, I was like, the Dewey Tucker story. What? And I was like, no, you're getting confused with John Tucker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so like, I never said it. Though, like, I have no clue what I'm supposed to say here. <laughs> no, that movie's great. Uh, and it, he sings not, a lot. He sings a lot of songs. I don't know. I will say, too, for like a movie that is around like make, letting famous people like take up musical roles, I think everybody does a really great job in performing. Yeah, I agree. And in this movie, I think it was a little bit easier to drink to than Singing in the Rain. For sure. Uh, or at least easier to keep track of the rules. Maybe it's just the quality, quality <laughs> I think of the we rules. Fo- I think we followed two rules the entire movie, which was yeah. Tay Diggs announcing the musical number. And eventually we caught up with gunshots. We missed all of our gunshot opportunities in the... Uh, I said the gunshot. <laughs> the gunshot opportunities at the beginning of the movie, which are several... It was like, I think we were like over halfway through and I was like, we haven't been drinking to gunshots. Yeah. I mean, there's other things you could drink to in this. Honestly, anytime that someone is like attention grubbing, Mm -hmm. like because everybody's attention grubbing. Yeah, that would be a really great one. I also think one you could add is when anybody is bribing mama. Yeah, you could definitely add that. Because that's throughout the entire movie. Was that not a rule? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. I think that'd be a good one to add. Yeah. Okay. What are you rating this? Um, so I think it was a better drinking movie than Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. I think they're both enjoyable. I like this movie. It's hard to compare them. They're they're too different. You should watch them for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I like this movie more as like an everyday movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 90. Wow. Yeah. Again, I don't know if it's better than Singing in the Rain. I mean, maybe, but I think it's like if you mix in the quality of a drinking movie and the type of movie that I want to watch on like mm-hmm. a 
on a night during, you know, during the week or the weekend. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, yeah, 90. Yeah. So I'm sitting here with egg on my face. (laughs) I completely forgot how great the direction was. I had remembered completely how great the musical numbers were. They did, they lived up and exceeded in my mind. I obviously forgot how good the acting was. So I'm giving it a 94. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever gotten a bad movie that I have a score before. <laughs> no. And I mean, combined, these are the highest ratings by far we've ever given. Yeah. A good, I, bad pairing. Yeah, I did 99 and 94. What the yeah, hell? That's really high. <laughs> but transitioning with this, who is the director? Rob Marshall. What else did Rob Marshall do? Um, He did uh one of the later Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. Do you say Caribbean or Caribbean? I don't know what's correct. I normally say Caribbean. So when I'm talking about the Caribbean in like normal sentences, like mm-hmm. not talking about that movie or that ride, I say Caribbean. Uh, when I say, I guess I do say Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Like why? Why do we say that? I don't know. I think that's always how they pronounced it like on the ride and like for the movie. Yeah. If anybody knows, tell us like, did we just, did we as like people just start doing that or like, is that how they pronounced it? Like how did, is that like when the movie was marketed, how they were saying it? Because definitely when I see the word Caribbean, that is how I pronounce it. Yeah. But for this specific thing, if I'm at Disney world or I'm talking about this movie franchise, I say Caribbean. Yeah. We need to look into that. Maybe there's yeah. something on Google. Yeah. But it's 100% Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Like nobody has ever like in the trailer for the movie or something said Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, in the in the trailer, they're not even saying the, they don't say pirates. No, but I'm just saying, like, in marketing for it or, yeah. like, when they're doing cast interviews and stuff, I'm pretty sure nobody said Pirates of the I'm Caribbean. I'm going to look up YouTube videos of this to see because yeah. <laughs> now I'm really curious. Well, so anyway, where this leads us is that in thinking about the Pirates of the Caribbean, I think. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it comes up with a great set of movie pairings because... We also recently saw a trailer for a horrendous looking Disney uh, ride based movie, which was Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Uh, with Jesse Plemons. Fan, <laughs> fan favorite. <laughs> well, I guess. I don't know if he's a fan favorite on this show. I'm going to say he's a fan favorite. I'm, I'm going to assume Jesse Plemons listens to our podcast. <laughs> if he doesn't, then I don't care. <laughs> We're a fan of his. I like how, I like how we call fan favorite. And it's <laughs> just the two of us. <laughs> so I'm going to say that that's going to be a horrible movie whenever it comes out. It comes out reasonably soon, right? Like the, this fall or something like that. Yeah, and maybe even into summer. I don't really, like, movie releases are just completely fucked in my head because, like, the traditional movie release right now is gone. Yeah. Because everything is, like, trying to figure out when it can come back. Right. So I have no clue. I know we saw a trailer for it. Usually when you see a trailer of that magnitude with, like, a huge Disney movie, about a Disney uh, ride, like flagship ride, with names like The Rock and Emily Blunt. And Jesse and Plemons. Just, oh my god, I forgot Jesse Plemons. <laughs> <laughs> Usually they're trying to market that for like six months out. Right. I They could be trying to release this in two weeks. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I really have no idea. <laughs> okay, wait. Say a day. I'm going to look it up. Let's let's take a bet. What on what? On the release date for Jungle Cruise. Oh. Um... Okay, on a normal basis, like what you were saying, you would see a a trailer, and the very first time you would ever see it, it might even be like a year away Mm -hmm. before it releases. Right. With a movie like this, I feel like it's maybe six months away. Okay. But because of all the delays, Mm -hmm. this movie was certainly made pre-pandemic, right? Oh, definitely. So now they might be rushing to get it out to theaters. Right. I'm going to say that this movie comes out in August, late August. I was going to say early August. 
and we're giving away the movie magic by movie magic i mean this podcast that nobody listens to <laughs> um, but, as if we're like insiders <laughs> on how hollywood works well no i'm talking about just our podcast as if it's something anybody cares about uh-huh. um so we're filming this on july 25th i was gonna say like first or second week of august okay that's very soon okay yeah are, are we ready yeah uh-huh. i'm gonna look it up did you already pull it up I, I have typed in the things I haven't hit search. Okay. Well, while you search for this, getting back to how this is appearing. No, I think, I think, okay, I have it. What was it? July 30th. Well, even sooner. It's <laughs> in five Goodness. days. <laughs> it's like old. When we saw the trailer for old, that wasn't that long ago. And right. old comes out. I think it's already out. It's out this week. Yeah. <laughs> I think it came out like a couple of days ago. Well, so now we have so many bad movies to watch. Uh, old being one. We have to find a good pairing for that one. Yeah. And then Jungle Cruise. I can't yeah. assume that's going to be a good movie. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyways. Okay. But yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Getting back to the pairing. Because we found out that the director of this directed one of the Pirate of the Caribbean you mean, movies. You said the director. You mean the director of this. You mean the director of Chicago. Of Chicago. Yes. Yeah. So that starts the domino falling, right? Mm-hmm. So then that's uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. But one of the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And then, because I think it was a later one, right? Like, they made, like, I don't know, five or six. I don't know, like, uh, might, Shadow, seven at this something time. Other. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter. So, we get to that. The first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, I remember being good. I think it's good. Oh, Rob Marshall, who did, um, it's in the same vein of what we're talking about. He just does Chicago. He's doing the new uh, Little Mermaid that's coming out. Huh. Live action. Anyways. Well, so this led to this discussion of, okay, so we have Pirates of the Caribbean. I think that's a good movie. The first one. The first one was definitely a good movie. Okay. I think the first three were decent, at least. The first, because I think the, the first trilogy, one was great. the original trilogy, I think, was a good trilogy, or at least considered good. It was well received. Here's the thing I don't think, and I could be completely wrong, and we can research and see if I'm debunked. I don't think that Pirates of the Caribbean was filmed initially to be anything other than the that one standalone movie. I believe that it did so well that they're like, holy shit, we can make money off of this. And that's probably the case, yeah. And I believe that anything that did not mean to be a trilogy or multi-series thing should never be. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Anyways. Okay, but either which way. Well, so, I'm going to shut up because I've really derailed this conversation a lot. Yeah, uh, like over and over again. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that would be the good movie. So then thinking of all the bad movies. So here's the thing. I guess Disney at this point is just going to turn all of their rides into movies, mm-hmm. right? So we already had Haunted Mansion, mm-hmm. which was terrible. Mm-hmm. It came out in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Pirates of the Caribbean, like one through a million. Mm-hmm. There was now Jungle Cruise. I'm trying to think, what are the other ones that came out in terms of, like, the classic rides? Mm, country Bear Jamboree. Did, did that Certainly there is no Country Bear Jamboree. I think there was. I think there was. Look it up. Okay. If there hasn't been, then there really should be. And it should be, like, a, about the bears, right? Like, how they started their jamboree. You could do it like a Muppet-style movie. 2002, The Country Bears. Is that, like, an animated movie? It was, like, a live animatronic movie. Oh, it's even more terrifying. I mean, like, this is, I'm showing Sean some pictures from the movie. That looks terrible. It is. <laughs> okay, well, well, now that we know another bad movie, we're going to have to pair the Country Bears. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so Country Bear Jamboree, there you go. Um, they've, I mean, they've made everything, you know, and it's just going to continue. Eventually, we're going to have, uh, like, Small World or whatever. Can I, can I just read you this one thing? Like other celebrated rock and roll groups, the members of the legendary group The Country Bears were torn apart by the perils of their own success. 
ego, jealousy, and a little too much honey. Oh, boy. That sounds a lot like the Muppets. <laughs> sounds horrible. That would be a great pairing for oh the Muppets. Oh, my God. The, lead, the leads were Haley Joel Osment and Christopher Walken. Okay, we're going to have to watch that movie. <laughs> I'm taking note about that, and yeah. we're going to have to watch that as yeah, a bad I'm adding movie. adding it to my list. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. That, that changes my mind on the bad movie choice here, because that would be an even better. I know. We'll fill you in next week. You'll see. It'll be a surprise whether we're going to go with Country Bears or uh, or the movie we actually came up with, with, which was Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland being another thing that they took from the Disney parks. I think we're definitely doing Tomorrowland. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't remember Tomorrowland, I think it came out in like 2015 or 16, around that time period. Had, had George Clooney, but it was like really hyped. It was like a, what's the, um, now you have me stuck on Tucker. <laughs> what's the like John whatever of Mars? It's not John Tucker of Mars. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what an of Mars thing is. Bought John it. Carter. John Carter of oh, Mars. Oh, yeah. Okay, so John Carter of Mars was based on a sci-fi series that came out like a long time ago. Like I think early early 1900s but it's about this guy who like wakes up on mars and his, what his life is like whatever but they tried to make that into the next big series right and, and they thought it was going to be like this billion dollar series they spent an insane amount of money on that movie mm-hmm. and then it just completely flopped lost so much money mm-hmm. uh, i think it's one of the biggest deficits ever in terms of what they spent and what they made mm-hmm Tomorrowland was another of the ones who spent just an outrageous amount of money mm-hmm. on a movie that did not go well. For sure. And there's a good chance that they thought Tomorrowland might become a series as well. Mm-hmm. If you look at the trailer for that movie, they set it up as if this is going to be like a sci-fi-ish, right. almost like, not the Matrix, but like mm-hmm. something like on on that, like but like Disney-fied, right? Right. Why else would you cast George Clooney? Yeah. You have other like famous actors that are in this movie mm-hmm. and then you spend like hundreds of millions of dollars producing it. Like right. there's no way they thought they're going to make enough money off of one movie. Right. To, to to go into all that for that. Right. So certainly they thought that was going to be a trilogy too or something. Uh, and then it, it wasn't because it was very, very, very bad, supposedly. Right. Um, we have never seen it. So we'll see how bad it is. Right. Rotten didn't do too bad on it. I think it was like a 50, but we'll see how bad it is. Yeah, the trailer we did watch that looked pretty bad. I was I was making fun of it and laughing through the entire thing. Yeah, I mean I think it's not going to be good. Right. She also expressed that this is a joint pairing for us. Yeah. So next week we're watching Pirates of the Caribbean, the first and, one, and tomorrow, tomorrow night. Night. and we're gonna come back and try to figure out Caribbean versus Caribbean. Yeah, we'll have to take a poll on that one. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of polls, we're probably going to put up like a listeners pick poll. Last time we did eighth grade and uh, 17 again. Great yep. pick. Mm-hmm. So definitely be looking out for that poll on our Instagram page at So Wait Pause um, so that we can get your picks. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see you guys next time with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. And Tomorrowland. Yeah. Should be good. Okay. Not see as you then. Good as Country Bears. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Country next Bears has now jumped into the lead of something we have to watch. Yeah. I think we need to watch that ASAP. <laughs> okay. See ya. Bye.